Immediately a man was nailed to the cross, he lost all his rights. And if you ever get nailed to the cross, you'll lose all yours too. We love ourselves so much. And who are, who are we talking about now? Unbelievers? No. So-called believers who have never understood what it is to take up the cross and put self to death. See, because in the last days, there's going to be very little preaching about the cross and death to self-life. And so, when there's no preaching against death on death to self, self is going to flourish in the lives of many Christians. They won't even know that you cannot follow Jesus if you love yourself. I don't ask people if they're saved anymore. Who isn't saved? From the White House to the jailhouse. <clears throat> I'm asking you, is Christ, does Christ live in you? Christianity is the only religion in the world where a man's God comes and lives inside of him. Thanks be to God that when I finally acknowledge that I can't do this, it's not possible for me to live the Christian life on my own. I, I'm not called to chart my own course. I'm not called to create my own destiny and ask God to bless it. I'm called to follow Him. I'm called to give up the rights to my life and walk with the Holy Savior. I'm called to let His mind be formed in me. His life become my life. His ways become my ways. His purpose become my purpose. His plan become my plan. And then the power of God will come upon me. It's Tom Richardson with Removing Confusion Podcast, February 1st, 2023. I'm going to talk about something that really bugs me a lot. Because it's something that's prevalent in both of our political... Um, era places, places of power, and it's also very prevalent in the church, or what calls itself the church. And I always use that caveat because a lot of what we see in churches is man's thoughts running rampant with God's word. Now, I have tried to do the best I can to stay right where the sweet spot, they say, you know, when the when the batter swings the the bat to hit the ball, that it's going to fly as far as he can put it, or the golf swing, you know, the face of the club's just right. That's the sweet spot. That's where I try to stay is right there and where the truth is. I won't deviate from God's truth. Sometimes it's painful for me, even. You know, there's things that we read in the pages of the Bible that are just very difficult for us to say, oh, man, I got to do that. But, you know, that's, that's just how it is. You know, we, we take on the mantle of a Christian 
And we have to pretty much follow that teaching, that that truth. You know, it's not even my interpretation of it. I mean, if you read things very straightforwardly, and I don't mean always literal because sometimes God uses uh, analogies, I guess, and not a best word I could use, but similes and metaphors. Let's use that so we go back to our high school English class, which just means things that are similar, like when it says, the devil as a roaring lion goeth about seeking whom he may devour. It doesn't really mean that the devil is a lion. It just means that he's acting in the stead of a very hungry lion who's going to swallow you whole. Or that ravening wolves will come amongst the flock. It doesn't mean that there's actually going to be wolves come through the uh, congregation and start to rip and tear at people. It just means that there are men who act in that capacity, and they are prevalent. Paul said in his day that those wolves would come in. That was 2,000 years ago, almost. And now look where we're at. I mean, do you think it's better now? I mean, everybody's like, no, I don't know. Our church is right on track. And I pray that it is. I hope that everybody's in a position where their church is on track. The place that they worship in is on track. That uh, people are truly being saved and people are being discipled through the Word of God. Uh, a very well-known uh, in this area, anyway, and I think in a lot of, you know, this guy's name is Alistair Begg. Now, I've got friends of mine that don't like him because he came out against Alex Jones. I believe he's Scottish. But he's, you know, he, he preaches in a church not far from where I'm sitting, but far enough that I don't want to drive every Sunday up around Cleveland, Ohio. And his, his style of preaching is to teach people and get them engrossed and, and, and uh, immersed in the Word of God. It's called the Systematic Contextual Exposition of the Scriptures systematic contextual exposition of the scriptures and he, he has a nice little ana, anagram called skiots s-c-e-o-t-s that's the type of stuff i like to do that's why we went through the first book of peter a while back and it was received rather well i thought I haven't decided to go deep into another full-on book of the Bible, but you know, you can also do this contextual and uh, expositional type of teaching on subject matter. You know, subject matter. Uh, some people, their lane is purely prophetic. Uh, maybe it's the millennial kingdom. Maybe it's the the uh, the new heavens and the new earth those are those are always very exciting and very interesting to those of us who are saved some people um, you know another teaching that could be is the reality of hell and why it's there and how does hell actually reflect the glory of god i mean these are just ideas it's not what we're doing today 
Today, I want to talk about compromise. Compromise. Many are compromised. If we dig deep into our lives, we can probably find a place where all of us have a compromising situation that can limit our ability to stand before a group of people and preach. Now, some people just don't want to do it, period. I And, you know, to understand this, we're going to look at Scripture, of course, but also hold up a couple, couple of places. You know, I used uh, Daniel Webster's 1828 Uh dictionary compromise is a noun it's uh it's from the latin to give bond to stand to an award to promise or you know it says also to see promise which to me that's the uh latin formation of it but uh it's a mutual promise or contract between two parties in controversy to refer their differences to the decision of arbitrators or it's an amicable agreement between parties in controversy to settle their differences by mutual concessions now that is where we come in at you know these are all very positive sounding legal terms goes my notebook those are all the like say they're they're this is a legal term to a certain degree that you know i'm gonna shake your hand and say well i'm in mutual agreement with you on this situation or this uh this uh this issue and we'll just leave it at that that's that's partly how we could look at compromise now in the in the modern era and I actually looked that up, I'd say that was 1828, uh, to go even a little bit further. I think it's Merriam-Webster's, and this is online, uh, a settlement of differences in which each side makes concessions. That is where I'm going to land, I think. That's a pretty good um, definition of compromise you make concessions to the other side now when we take this and we take it into the realm of christianity we have no room for compromise none zero zilch nada as they like to say in uh you know to hear people say that all the time they 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 just want to throw out every negative term to the uh idea that's being fronted to them and that's where I'm at. We cannot compromise with Scripture. We cannot take Scripture the way we want to. We have to study it if you really want to get into the uh, the depth of it. Study it, understand it, and then try to be able to bring it back to people so they can understand. Because there's a lot of folks that will say, well, I don't understand you know, this little piece or that little piece. We're going to look at a couple of things today. I don't know how long I'll go. But we'll look at a couple of things today that, because um, this is a this is one of those things that's very near and dear to my heart. I, I, I When I hear bad preaching, it just sickens me. When I hear people say things, and then if you confront them about that, then, then they turn on you. And they'll say, well, I studied this out for, you know, blah, blah, blah. 
and you don't know. And you know, with, with me, it's always, well, you didn't even go to college. You don't know nothing. Uh, I did an extensive amount of online biblical uh, or Bible college courses. Uh, I didn't go to a brick and mortar. And, you know, I got a wide variety of different Christian aspects. I've been in different denominational churches where, you know, there was, it ranged from all kinds of things. And, you know, I always came back to where the, it's the Bible that's true and man, that'll be a liar. It's God that's true and man, that'll be a liar. But when it comes to compromise, we know what it means in this context is, you know, or if you say this guy's compromised, that means there's something in his life or hers even, okay, that sullies their ability to get up and completely go into the Word of God. You know, Paul said, I preach to you or I teach to you the whole counsel of God. Some of it isn't easy for you to hear. Jesus made the statement that if you fall on this rock, it will break you. But if this rock, the the word of God, falls on you, it will grind you to powder. Far better to be broken than ground to powder. I've, I've used that one many times. If you've listened to me, you know. But I'm telling you, there's guys out there that are going to, you know, say they've spent decades in the in the pulpit or or whatever and say well, you don't even you don't even have a church well I don't I haven't ever been called into that full on you know build a building ministry and then you know work at it until I croak uh you know it just has it hasn't been my way I I've got this ministry I've got several others that I'm involved in but I, I, I despise compromise. I despise the fact that the devil has his footnote, in, or his foot is, goodness gracious, he's got his toe into some people's lives, and they, that they can't touch certain things within biblical context. So they cover all that up with once saved, always saved. They cover that up with I can do whatever I want, I can't lose my salvation. I don't like to get into that argument because it's very tenuous and it always ends up with somebody beating the other one over the head with the Bible. There's different ways to take different passages of Scripture. I'll say this. There's an old boy that I used to listen to. I don't listen to much anymore, but he had a, he had a saying he said, you know, there's people that, you know, we know they backslide. And he says, even I have backslidden. And I can say to you that Tom Richardson here has also at one time or another backslidden and slipped into things that, you know, were far from God, still believing, still holding on to a faith in God, but not really exercising it truthfully. And uh, with this old boy, what he would say, those, there's people out there that backslid, but uh, there's also some that never front slid. They never really were saved. John talks about some of these people, and he says, they went out from us because they were never of us. Talking about people who left their 
fellowship or left the faith of God and went back into the world. There's a lot of people that do that. They, they, they'll do this thing where they'll say, well, I tried the church or I tried this or I tried that, you know, religious stuff. And it didn't work for me. It didn't do any good for me. It didn't change my uh, outcome in life. It didn't, I didn't get rich. I didn't get the, the girl or the guy that I wanted. I didn't, you know, whatever. But they didn't work at trying to cleanse themselves or have Jesus cleanse them of their sins. They didn't work because they didn't give Jesus a chance. They gave the church a chance. And the church will always fail you because it's full of men. And that sounds cynical. And uh, I mean the nominal church out there, the, the modern Western type that, you know, seeker-friendly, they call it. Well, you know what? I'm seeker-friendly as well. I friendly seek other people who are of like mind to me and the way that I believe, which is Bible, period. So let's go to the Bible, period, and talk about compromise. Uh, We'll start in the Old Testament and simple stuff. Psalm 119, one of the most well-known psalms out there besides 23. Because Psalm 119 is a a very long psalm. It's the longest book in the Bible, the longest chapter, I'm sorry, in the Bible. You know, it takes up a lot of space. There's a lot of real good truth in here. And, you know, there's people that will say, well, you're using Old Testament. Well, we're going to use New Testament as well. But first off, let's go here. I'm going to start in verse 1. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in, in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his way. Now, iniquity, I'll remind you, is another word that we use today of saying just lawlessness. They, they, the people who walk in the way of Christ do not walk in a lawless way manner they walk in a very lawful manner they walk in a very uh strict to his demands type manner and you know people will say well that's that's still that's law you're talking law you know i'm not talking jewish law i'm you know my wife and i have this conversation she had i know uh, it's been a while back and again you know this is just a little story on the side the 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 facebook will always cause an issue. You, she put up a, a meme or something, had something to do with Ten Commandments, and somebody came after her like, oh, we're not under the law. I don't have to follow the Ten Commandments, blah, blah, blah. You know? And uh, I'm like, really? I want you in your free time, because we're not going to go through the entire tenet of the Ten Commandments today, but I can give you a pretty quick overview that the Ten Commandments are pretty much moral laws. They're just morality, you know? Uh, the, the, the Constitution of the United States was founded around that moral law. Now, they've watered that down quite a bit, and preachers have taken the Ten Commandments as well and watered them down horribly, saying that, oh, we don't have to adhere to We're not under the law. Well, we're not under the law of strangling pigeons and 
and slicing the throats of sheep, killing you know oxen and all that stuff. We have a sacrifice that was given for us perfectly, and his name is Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. The blood of bulls and goats does us no good, as it says, or sheep. So when you look at the Ten Commandments, you, you see some pretty interesting things, I think, you know, and we'll look at those, I guess, quickly. You know, it's, it's well known that the first five have your rela- relationship to God. I had a good friend of mine. I really like this guy that passed away a, a, a while back last year, or well, actually the year before last. And he did, he, he used to say things like, you know, if you go up and ask people, what's the most important of the Ten Commandments? And then, and they'll come on, well, you should not call, come, shouldn't commit adultery, you shouldn't, you know, do this. You know, it's always the uh, the the human side of the Ten Commandments, which is uh, the ones that talk about killing, honor your mom and dad. You know that kind of stuff. But the other side, the other the other side of the tablet, the first tablet, has everything to do with God. Talking about keeping the Sabbath day. Now, again, we don't do the Sabbath day. We do Sunday. We believe that because of what uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ was on the first day of the week. So that's how we celebrate that. But here's, here it is. Thou shalt have no other gods before thee. Thou shalt not make, uh, not, not, not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. So there we have it. We have the law, as they want to call it, or the Ten Commandments that pertain to God. Those are the important ones, really. Those are the ones that, you know, get overshadowed by murder and uh, adultery and lying and all that. But here's the thing. Even those are sins against God. David says in Psalm 51, against thee, O Lord, and thee only have I sinned. Now, he committed adultery. He uh, lied, basically, about a lot of it, and sent a man to his death so that he wouldn't get caught. And he, of course, he always gets caught. God knows. And he understood that and repented, and he told God, I sinned against you, even though he did all these other things. It was more important for David to realize, I have sinned against God. And that's what we have to come to. When we are sinning, we may be doing it where it affects other people, but you grieve God in doing it, whatever it is. And you know that, again, the Ten Commandments are moral laws that, you know, we just follow them. 
Now, some folks don't go to church. Some folks don't hold God in a higher regard. Again, those are those ones on the, let's call it on the first tablet of the Ten Commandments that pertain only to God and our relationship to him. The other side of the tablet is the things that we have in relationship to other people and the laws that have been developed around that. And those are all very important. I mean, we don't want to be killing and murdering and maiming and lying and doing whatever we want. You know, you get married and ah, it's nothing. I'm going to go commit adultery because it doesn't mean anything. This is all untrue and lies of the devil. Now, have to excuse me a little bit. My throat's a little bit out today, but we're going to carry on and do what we do. I'm uh, developing a thought here. There's uh, the account in John chapter 8 of a woman who's caught in adultery. And she's taken before Jesus by these pharisaical kind of guys and dudes from town. They're ready to stone her. They want her dead, you know, because, you know, they, they, they felt like they were so holy. They felt like they could, you know, enact this judgment upon her because they, they were above this act that she was doing. They never would think about doing this or any other horrible, terrible sin. And as you know, the story, you know, Jesus is just sitting there writing on the ground. Now, people have speculated forever. What is he writing? Well, it could be he's writing their names there (laughs) of those guys that were running around. He might have been just writing the commandments, or he he just might have been doodling. Who knows? It's not given us. We can speculate. I don't speculate a lot. I just think it's kind of interesting that he just stood there, you know, lay or knelt there or whatever, and just kind of scribbled in the dirt. And these guys say, she is caught in the act of adultery. The, the law says that she'd be put to death. Jesus has a very good answer. He just tells them, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Oops. I, I, I can to this day hear that thumping of rocks hitting the ground and not the lady, the woman that was caught there, and they walk away, all of them. They've been caught again. They tried to, they always tried to take Jesus and paint him into a corner somehow and make him make a decision, make him make a judgment that they would not make themselves. Now, they would have. They would have went ahead and killed her. They wanted to. They wanted to kill. They were, they were out for blood, you know. They were tempting him. This is what it says, verse 6 of John chapter 8. Now, Moses in the law commanded us, that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said in verse 6 of John chapter 8, tempting him that they might have have to accuse him. 
But Jesus stooped down with his finger, wrote on the ground, as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself, and he said unto them, He that is without a a sin among you, let him cast a stone at her. Then he stooped back down and started writing on the ground again. That's just lovely. And they all walk away, and Jesus looks at her. They saw that none were there but the lady, the woman, and he said unto her, Woman, where are they? Where, where, where are thou those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And she said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. And he goes into the, I am the light of the world. Now, here's the thing. I've hit on this several times in preaching that I do outside of this broadcast. And it's, it's difficult because he tells her to go and sin no more. And we know that we have a nature that Paul talks about of the old man nature, the sin nature. That even though we've been redeemed by God through Jesus and we have faith, and we have the hope of his his appearing, that we're still going to sin. We do. We we have bad thoughts. We we say bad things. We get ourselves into trouble by talking. Usually, uh, and you know, sometimes people. I want to I want to throw a an aside in here for you that's listening to me, and I, I'm talking from experience. There are people who will pull you into something and it doesn't have to be rank gossip but just make a statement to you where you reply back to them with a very solemn truth and then they turn on you these are the kind of people that I will not deal with on a very personal level even though we may have been at one point in time, uh, they may notice that I'm not as there for them as I may have been once. And I may become even less there for them in the future because they can't be trusted. Um, they, they've set their course as far as I'm concerned. And that's just a warning Warning to all my friends that are listening. Be careful who you trust. Now, I'm not talking about your spouse. If you can't trust him or her, you've got a real problem. Just talk about those people in the world, especially the church. There's a lot of people in church that are just looking for a way to trap you into something. And they may not even know they're doing it. It just happens. Because they're double-minded maybe and it says in James chapter 1 I think it's verse 19 if I'm not mistaken but you can check a double-minded man or woman is unstable in all of his ways that is another good and that's the Holy Spirit brought that to me that is another good um, verse depicting compromise or the lack of you stick to your guns as long as you're biblically correct 
or even in a, in a non-biblical sense, if you're morally correct in the statement you make, you just stick to it. If they don't like it, tough hoo-ha. They'll get over it or they won't. But guarantee you, people will always let you down if you let them. So just beware of your closest friends. Now, having spoken of the lady who was about to be stoned for the sin of adultery and the, the uh, unfolding that Jesus put through to her and said, don't, go, don't sin anymore. I, I I interpret this correctly, I believe, and I've been told that it that I'm 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 firing all on all cylinders this, on this one. Is she has a specific sin that she's been commit uh, been committing that she's been delving into for some period of time? Jesus knows she has that human nature, and that she can't go without sinning. I mean, it just sin happens to us. But he told her, "Don't go back." His, his, uh, what he meant, don't go back to the same thing that I just saved your life from. This, this whole thing is a picture of salvation. Now, her life was literally hanging in the balance. His words kept it from happening. And that's, a, that's actually a, an awesome and beautiful picture if you think about it, of how God works. And he, he did. I mean, he just, he, he, he looked at her and said, who's here to accuse you? Nobody. Then I, I, I don't accuse you either. Go and sin no more. This is like the devil bringing somebody's name up before God. Now, which he does day and night, it says. He's at the throne of God blaming us for the things that we've done. And he does it to us as well, or he sends his minions to do it. He's too busy to go after all of us, and he's not omniscient or omnipresent. So he has to you know, stand there and say, look what he did. Look what she did. Look at this thing. Look at that thing. And God just says, I don't see it. Because my son covered them in his blood. But uh, it also says in Romans, Paul wrote and says, because grace abounds, does that mean I just keep on sinning? And his answer, he asked a question, it's rhetorical, and answered it himself. It says, God forbid. There's a lot of teaching out there that tells you, you know, just Go, go about your life. You know, if you were doing it before, you're under the blood now. You don't have to worry. I honestly don't believe that. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care if they throw me completely out of every church that I ever go to from here on out. Uh, and I'm not talking about God taking away his free gift of salvation from you. I question if you can continue in a sin that you know is a sin, but you say, well, I'm under grace, so I can do this. 
All right, how many Christian liars, Christian adulterers, Christian homosexuals, uh, Christian murderers? I mean, now you may be a murderer that becomes a Christian or any of the other. You turn from those things. You leave that lifestyle. You put down that bottle of beer and that joint. And you walk away because you found a better way to walk. Not, not that I'm going to stay embroiled in my sin because grace has set me free. Therefore, I can do whatever I want. This is a lie from the devil. Listen to this. 1 John 3, 8. And if you have uh, um, your King James Bible, which I'm going to read from first, it's kind of confusing. It's kind of confusing. We're going to clarify it, though, as we go. Thank you, God, for the, the message that you give us through your word. 1 John 3, verse number 8 is where we will start. Well, actually, let's go back up to 3, 7, 8, and then we'll do 9. <clears throat> John, 1 John 3, 7. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is, as he is right, being Jesus. So you guys down here, he, you, you, we, do, we do righteousness because and it, it makes us righteous, even, even as Jesus is righteous. Okay, that's kind of confusing too, isn't it? But I'm trying not to confuse, and I'm going to clarify as much as I can. John, First uh, John three eight, First John three eight. He that committeth sin is of the devil. Full stop. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. Period. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, comma, that he might destroy. The works of the devil. He that committeth sin is of the devil. Wow. Well, that means we all are because we all commit sin. So a thought, a deed, a, a word, the wrong gossiping. Don't gossip. It's not good. The wrong uh, attitude towards people or things even. So there you are. Are we all of the devil? We're, we'll clarify. We'll clarify. It's <clears throat> just having a little fun there, but it is. You read this passage here in First John, chapter three, and you're you're like, well, I don't have a chance. You know, John says it right there. I'm if I sin, I'm of the devil. Well, we will clarify. Trust me. Uh, verse number nine: Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Again, there's, you know, I use this in a, in a message, and I used another one where it says we, will, we should walk as he walked. And I said this is not talking of sinless perfection. None of us have that. We're all flawed human beings saved by grace through Christ or saved by Christ and we have grace and we have faith and we have all the things that make us saved give us salvation 
But that doesn't mean we go about just doing whatever we want because it's what we want to do. And we're under, we're under grace, so what, what can touch me? And that's a wrong teaching. You'll never hear it here. You'll never hear it here. Romans 6, 2 is that one that I believe I was using a moment ago. We're going to pull it. What shall we say then? 6, 1. Romans 6, 1. What shall we say then? Shall we commit sin or continue? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? So should we just sin as much as we want so that we can get more grace? That's what it says, right? That's what it's meaning is oh well if i sin more i get more grace 6 2 romans 6 2 god forbid how shall we that are dead to sin we know we we uh um sorry i'm gonna read that again <laughs> 6 1 says what shall we say then shall we continue in sin that grace may abound god forbid How shall we, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? What does that really mean? That means we're not supposed to just go out and do our own thing because, well, I'm saved and I've got grace and I can do it because the Bible says so. No, it doesn't. It actually says the exact opposite. It says you're not born for sinning now. You're not reborn for sinning. You're not supposed to be embroiled in the sin that you once were in. Now you will sin. We will. We just do. This isn't talking about all those little day-to-day, you know, like say thoughts and deeds that may crop up. You may slip up and throw a curse word out when you smash your thumb with a hammer. But this is talking about the big ones. The ones that you were just so doing before you came in to Christ. I threw a few of them out there. You know, you may have been a homosexual. You may have been an adulterer. You may have been a heavy drinker, smoker, doper, whatever. Many of us were. Even Paul said, as such, many of you were. But God saves us from those things. Pulls us out of that clay that we were stuck in. 1 John 3, 9 again. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed, God's seed, remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Now, the seed of God is the Holy Spirit who is in you and dwells in you, lives in you, guides you if you allow him. If you grieve him, of course, (laughs) you get nothing except grief yourself. But this says, you know, Again, you don't sin? You don't commit sin? 
I'm going to take you to a thing I don't do very often because it gets so many people upset. I'm going to read several other versions of the Bible, the the newer versions. And I've heard guys say, oh, they're perversions. Well, to just enforce what I'm saying, because I'm going to say, I would say from that verse that we read that, uh, you know, don't go back to where you were. You, you use Bible preferences or references, I'm sorry, that were that predated this writing, the one with the lady who was caught in adultery, and Jesus says, go and sin no more. And he said that to several people along the way. Go and sin no more. And, you know, people probably shook their head. Well, I don't understand. I mean, I'm, I can't help it. It just happens. The New American Standard Bible in 1995 is generally thought of a, of one of the better uh, Bible translations. Uses this terminology, and I find it very well put. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed, capital H means God's seed, abides in him. And he, the little man, cannot sin because he is born of God. Now, you can still sin, folks, but you can't just do it on you. Can't, you can't fall into this practicing. If you're doing it just willy-nilly, well, I'm going to still do this because I'm under grace, you may not even be born again. Now, that's between you and God, and you need to get down on your knees and get really intense with God, fervently asking, wrestle all night, as it says. The English, English, I can't talk straight. The English Standard Version says practically the same thing. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed, see, I like how it puts it there as well, instead of just saying he, because people get confused with pronouns, God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. That's enough of the other versions that people will just, if they listen in their King James only, will get so upset. <clears throat> and God tells us, don't do it. You know, when you know you're getting ready to do something, this is called willful sinning as well. There's, there may be that'll help. You know you're about to do something. You know you're about to engage in some kind of a activity that you should not. The Holy Spirit, if he lives within you, if you haven't pushed him down to a point where he just won't fight you, if you don't feel that twinge, of, oh, I, I really probably shouldn't do this or say this. If you don't feel that, you're, you're, in a, you're in a very precarious situation if you are a Christian because you should feel it. You should know what's right and what's wrong. You should know what dishonors Christ, and it should flank you on both sides and if need be, beat you over the head. So keep that in mind. Listen 
to the voice within and not, you know, people say, was well, it my conscious? Maybe it's not your conscience is yours. It can, it is fallible. If your conscience says, oh, it's okay. If I go drink all this liquor tonight, but yet you hear this other voice in your being that says it's not okay. You're going to wake up tomorrow sick. And the witness that you have for me, which is Jesus is going to be shot. But you know, when I go to the bar, I can talk to people about Jesus while I'm drinking. You've, as soon as you put that beer bottle to your mouth or that liquor, you've, you've lost those people. They're going to say, well, you're just like us. That's why a lot of these churches that function like nightclubs, smoke machines or fog machines and fancy lighting and dark, dark interiors and extra loud music that's not really necessary. Preachers wearing tight jeans and prancing around like, I will leave that alone. Uh, Some of them may be effective and some of them may not be. But they have, they project an image that makes everybody say, well, this is how I want to be slovenly sloppy, you know, embroiled in all this loudness and darkness. It's like being in the world. It's almost like going to the club. So it's okay. It's not. The reverence for the church and even the even the stodgy KJV hymn churches only, there's a reverence for that building that's been lost because they allow a certain amount of secularization or humanism to crawl in. And they treat it like it's just a building where we all come together. The church is really the body of Christ, which it is. But that building should mean something. That building, when people walk into it from the world, from the lost side of the fence, when they walk in there the first time, they should feel something's different about this place. This place seems set apart from everything else. It doesn't seem like the Walmart or the uh, liquor store or whatever else that I've been to all my life. This place seems a little different. We don't call it a sanctuary anymore. It's an auditorium. Every school I've ever been in, most of them anyway, has had some sort of auditorium where all sorts of entertainment can be projected upon the, the, the student body. We're not there to project entertainment in the, in, the, in, the, in the Lord's home, the Lord's house, as we call him, sorry, homes. He lives within me. That's the real home of the Holy Spirit is within my soul, guiding me, teaching me, showing me the way, keeping me on the narrow path so that I don't sin against the one who loved me so much, Jesus Christ. Paul wrote, he's told us, don't don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, there's no coming back. Now, it's very difficult to do that. 
And that's not for today's teaching as well. This is just to tell us that it's easy to understand. Sometimes the King James, if that's your, which it is my pretty much 99% chosen version of the Bible that I use. And I, 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 uh, I say that because it's what I like. I like the flow, the pros and all that. But there's times when I run across something like this verse that says, you know, you don't commit sin. Really? We need to get back to the basics and stay there for a while. Sometimes, you know, it's in the basics of the Bible can be very fulfilling as well. I mean, I'm not talking about, well, we need to understand John 3.16 today. I'm just saying there's things that are being taught, being told, being opened up to people that just aren't true. You don't want to live your life because grace abounds. I can sin there more. That is not truthful. That is not good teaching, and it's not a good way to live your life. You want to live your life pleasing to God. You want to be a child of the King. Till next time, Tom Richardson, Removing Confusion, I hope. In the rags of my sin, yeah. <laughs> Reggie.